eight, you're gonna need pen and paper. Grab pen and paper right now, please. We're gonna dive right in. Are you guys good if we make the most of our time together and dive right in? You guys are such an activated group that I feel permission just to go for it. I wanna get as much training downloaded as possible. Remember, our goal this week is leadership development. It's leadership training. To me, training is a different mechanism than teaching and preaching. So training is much more about rehearsing the truth and it drives it down deeper. It's kind of getting down to the how we do what we do. Does that make sense? We started on day one with the why. Everyone say why. why? Because if you don't have the why, the what and the how are not of much value, right? So we've got the why. You guys are carrying the why so deeply. How many of you felt getting the why day one was really kind of helpful to realign yourself in your passion for why you're here and what you're doing? How many of you felt that was helpful? Okay, good. And now we're kind of diving into a little bit the what, but the how. Everyone say how. how. I think a lot of times we always intend to get to the how, but we run out of time. So I'm trying to break that pattern and get us right to the how. So can you guys stay leaning in, which you are, stay activated and driven. But we're going to do, I'm going to go over some notes that have been really transformative in my life. And then we're going to pivot back into the freedom sessions. Does that sound good? So now you know the agenda for the morning. Hang on one second. Say hi to your neighbor real quick. Bless them in the Lord. Okay, amen. Here we go. I'm going to hit you with some notes this morning. Okay, that have come from a uh, garage session we had in Huntington Beach. I believe in, yeah, 2013. This is from July 2013. This is a teaching that Christy Brent did with us in the garage. Okay, it was so transformative for me that I saved the notes and I rehearsed the notes. I wasn't going to do it, but I was sitting in the chair, just felt by faith prompted to do it, so we're going to do it. We're going to take a risk, follow the Spirit. How many of you can lean in with me on this this morning? We've talked a bunch about culture setting. Everyone say culture setting. I want you to know that in my view, from a leadership standpoint, establishing culture, building culture, and maintaining culture are the hardest leadership skill sets. So I don't want to, I kind of want to bring you right into that equation. I don't want to say like, oh, we'll get to that later. I want to go like, no, this is the essence of leadership. How do we build and establish a culture? And how do we take, we talked a lot about taking ownership. So I want to get to that. So uh, last night with the men, I talked about this word catalyst. Everyone say catalyst. catalyst. I want to create room in our ecosystem, and I want to create a culture that values the catalyst. Okay, we need the catalyst in this generation. There's no way we're going to have a Jesus movement without the catalyst. Everyone say catalyst. catalyst. There's no way we're going to have 200,000 sent, 80 million saved without the catalyst. I believe that right now on the earth, we're living in the hour of the catalyst. I believe that God is raising up catalysts all over the earth. I think some of the most anointed people in the generation are yet to be saved. They're driving their generation in the wrong direction. They are manifesting their gift of being the greatest catalyst. God is going to bring them into the kingdom and send them to you to be trained. Can I get an amen right now? And it's why, because we need the catalyst. You know, in decades past, I think sometimes, not always, this is a generalization, but the church undervalued the catalyst because at times the catalyst can be a little bit wild. How many of you have ever known a catalyst that was like sometimes productive and sometimes like, man, dude, <laughs> has anyone ever had a moment like that? 
No, some of you are totally saying yes, but not raising your hands. Maybe you know someone in the tent right now. Okay. How many of you know you're a catalyst? Raise your hand. Yes. So this is all about the culture of the catalyst. So here we go. I'm literally going to read my notes and I'm going to reflect on a few of them as we go. My prayer and faith is that something strikes you. Um, here we go. In Jesus' name. So from July 2013. Okay, so kind of the essence of what we're talking about a little bit here comes out of Judges chapter 5. Oh, yeah, my brave love ladies were like, that's what I'm talking about. You guys knew, brave love ladies, you knew right where I was going, didn't you? I want you to know, brave love's where it's at. I got no shame in saying I'm the biggest fan of brave love. I'll, can I get an amen right now? I also want you to know, I think a lot of us can learn a lot from Deborah. You don't have to be a woman and part of Brave Love to glean from Deborah. I want to challenge every man in the tent. If you cannot learn from Deborah, you do not have eyes to see. You should open your eyes. I want to tell you this out of the courage. It's going to mess with someone's mind, but I don't even know why I'm doing this, but here it goes. I'm following the spirit. There, you've got no Deborah without a Barak. And Barak's gotten a bad rap. Bear, we've kind of developed this view. I'm saying we collectively, maybe you don't identify, but I know we're hearing this in our camp a little bit, is that Barrick's kind of been kind of been cast as this guy who was afraid and passive, so he didn't want to go to war. Can I cast a different vision? I think Barrick was such a man of humility that he was humble enough to step aside when God wanted to raise her up. He had the strength, the meekness, and the courage to go stand on my shoulders, and I'll catalyze you into the fullness of your calling. So I want to know that some of you need to be a little bit less like, I don't want to be like that guy. Because don't look now, but read Hebrews 11 and guess whose name you find. Barak. So why does Hebrews 11 account him in the hall of faith if he was such a passive dude? He doesn't. I think the Lord has a different image of a Barak. I think the Lord goes, you have the strength, the guts, and the courage to say, climb on my shoulders and I'll, I'll catalyze you into the fullness of your calling. But we're going to learn this morning from Deborah. Everyone say amen. amen. Okay, Judges chapter 5. If you want to turn there, you can. Uh, if you just want to listen, you can. That's great. However you want to do it. Okay, so Judges chapter 5. Sorry, it's taking me a second. Okay, Judges chapter 5 is called the Song of Deborah. Judges chapter 4 is kind of the essence of her storyline. And Judges chapter 5, I'm not even going to go into it because we don't have time. We could do a whole morning on Deborah. But I want to capture a glimpse into one of the greatest catalysts in Scripture, who is Deborah. But I just want, to, I want you to capture this. Chapter 5 is called The Song of Deborah. Everyone say The Song of Deborah. The song of Deborah. And what is Deborah doing in Chapter 5? Here it is. Deborah is stirring herself up. There will come a time in your life as a leader where there is no other catalyst stopping by your house to stir you up. You have to get out of your bed and stir yourself up. The number one person you need to be a catalyst to is yourself. It's not once a year. It's usually once a day. You got to get out of bed. You got to sing yourself a song. You have to rehearse the prophetic word of the Lord. You got to go back to your prayer notes and go, what did he say? I'm believing for that. You have to take a long look in the mirror and go, am I living in the fullness of my passion? And then if you're like a Deborah, you got to go, this is the time. I'm called upon to be a Joshua to lead my generation. But before I can step out, I got to lead myself and stir myself up. Can I get an amen? amen. 
So, uh, so, so Deborah does this. The whole chapter five says, on that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinom, sang this song. Wait, who sang the song? Was it just Deborah? No, Barak sang it too. So Barak's right there like, dude, I'm stirring. You stir yourself up, I'll stir myself up, we'll go win. So is this a tent that goes, hey, we're catalysts, we stir ourselves up. And they press forward and they sing their song. Okay, so I'm going to go to my notes. Here we go. Bravery, courage, fearlessness are essential for this hour in human history. I'm going to read that again. Bravery, courage, and fearlessness are essential for this hour in human history. I want to tell you, friends, that for us to move forward into our calling, for us to move forward and to realize the fullness of the promises of God, every single one of us here is going to have to tap in to these attributes of bravery. Everyone say bravery. bravery. No, 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 no. We're catalyzing now. So when you catalyze, you don't discuss, you declare. So say this with me. Say bravery. Bravery. Courage. Courage. Fearlessness. Fearlessness. That has to be the song of your life. We will need it for the hour of human history that we live in. Number two, Deborah stirred herself up. She sang a song to herself. Number three, God has enormous power to create a culture shift. So many people are looking in our generation and they're saying, how is God going to ever do it? I want to tell you that how is God going to ever do it is the wrong question. God is never lacking in power or ability to create a culture shift. On Monday or Tuesday, whatever day it was, we started with a prophetic vision of God creating an underground earthquake that causes a tsunami to rise quickly. God is saying to us, do not doubt my ability to create a culture shift in your entire generation. I can do it in an instant. So I want us today to settle in faith that God is not lacking in power. He's looking for a catalyst. I want everyone to say this with me. Declare it with me. I will be that catalyst. I will be that catalyst. And what I'm kind of tangling with today, I'm just giving you the bottom line up front, is I'm tangling culturally with that, with that philosophy that says, I'm not a catalyst, but they are. And today what we're saying is, no, I am a catalyst. Everyone say, I'm a catalyst. I'm a catalyst. Doesn't matter your gifts, personalities, your wiring and experiences. We're giving God permission to activate all of us into the role of being a catalyst. Man, last night I said, remind me about being a catalyst, and then I totally forgot. So you're getting the notes from last night. So you tell all the dudes who aren't here, we got the extra sauce. <laughs> all right, I don't know what number I'm on, so I'm just going to keep reading these out. The need of the time generates the demand of our awakening. The need of the time in our era of human history generates the demand of yours and my awakening. How many of you are sensing the urgency of human history in this hour? Are you connected or disconnected from the time that we live in? One of the tribes of Israel was the smallest tribe. It's called the tribe of Iskar. It says they were small but mighty. And it lists out in the Old Testament what made all the tribes great. You know, this tribe had hundreds of thousands of fighting men. This tribe had chariots and fire. So it's like being among these Goliaths of great tribes. And buried there was this small little tribe of Issachar. And when it lists out what made Issachar great was this. It said they knew the times and the seasons that they lived in. 
and they understood what to do. What I want to tell you is this, is you cannot live disconnected from the need of your generation because it's the need of your generation and your awakening to that that will awaken the catalyst inside of you. Some of us need to spend some time crying out to God, open the eyes of my, literally my heart, the ears of my heart to perceive the need of my generation. Because I'm telling you, if you at a heart level, if you see the need, there's no going back. You'll never be the same again. That'll plant a fire in you that you can never turn off. If you feel, and I'm not coming at you when I'm saying I do this. If you have days where you feel like you're lacking that fire, be a Deborah, be a Barak and go, it's time to stir myself up. Open my eyes to see the need of my generation. I'm clearly not perceiving it. Open my eyes. I wonder if at times if God is looking throughout the earth, just saying, I'm looking for somebody who's calling out to me. Open my eyes. Open my eyes. Open my eyes. How are we doing? Yeah. Yeah, I'm about to in just a minute. This is the preamble. Thank you for being ahead of me, though. You're a visionary, bro. Let's go. Boom. What's your name? Ba what's that? Baker. All right. Baker's amazing. Let's give it up for Baker right now. Some of you in the room feel like you cannot be a catalyst because you're so focused on your weakness. Can I shift your paradigm for a second? Some of you are avoiding your weaknesses and you're living in fear of how God cannot use you because of your weakness. I want to challenge you today. I want you to be bold and to thank Jesus for your weakness and your frailty because your weakness and your frailty are an important ingredient in your activation as a catalyst. Because the Bible says, not by might or by power, but by my spirit. And some of you are feeling, I can't be filled because of my weakness. And the Lord says, no, you're going to be filled because of your weakness. Paul said, I boast in my weakness, for in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. Some of you are hiding out from the catalyst call because you're saying, I'm too weak and I'm too frail. And Jesus is saying, you are a catalyst because you're weak and you're frail. The greatest catalysts are usually those who understand their need the greatest. And so the reliance is most holy upon the Lord. Usually those who think they're catalysts but are really not are those who feel they're strong. And so they operate in their human strength. So if today you're in the tent and you're like, I'm weak and I'm frail and God can't use me, I want you to know you probably have the greatest catalytic call in the room. So I want to challenge you today to be bold and to thank God for your weakness and your frailty. Subnote, and I always say this when I talk with young people, weakness and frailty is not sin and strongholds. So I'm not telling you to say, thank you, Jesus, for all of my addictions. God's going to use me. No, those are strongholds. You should deal with them swiftly and be done with them and move on with your life. Weakness and frailty is simply a recognition of maybe I don't have a strength in this category, but not I, but him. So I want to bring real clear definitions. I always have young folks who are like, you're right. I need to celebrate all my sin patterns and God's going to use me. No, we don't celebrate sin patterns. We bust them. Weakness is just about recognizing I need more of God and I can't fulfill the call of God without the power of God coming on my life. How are we doing right now? Any heat on this? I want to challenge you to be totally consecrated to the spirit, to be completely set apart. Some of you need to renew your commitment to complete and total consecration unto the Lord. We didn't have time, but maybe if we have time, but we won't have time. But man, I have a whole nother prophetic word to YWAM that followed the global word that was all about now that you have the promise, you move into consecration. Where do we start? Joshua chapter one. But after Joshua was commissioned and told he was going to lead the nation across the river, what happened next? Consecration, circumcision at Gilgal. 
So how can you lead your generation across the river if you don't first pause to be circumcised and set apart unto the Lord? Commissioning, consecration, then you cross over. How are we doing? We must create an environment or an atmosphere in our life that makes us into the revivalist that we want to be. Everyone here wants to be a revivalist, but I want to challenge you with this. Are you creating an atmosphere, an environment, and an ecosystem in your life that nurtures you into that revivalist? Or are you saying, I want to be a revivalist, but yet my entertainment is flowing in a different direction. The use of my time is flowing in a different direction. The people I give myself to is flowing in a different direction. Or are you saying, I'm so set apart and consecrated. I believe the word of the Lord so deeply. I'm creating an atmosphere that nurtures me into the revivalist that I desire to be. All right, here we go. Coming back to Baker. Are you ready for some definitions? Okay. So I'm going to give you some definitions. These are straight out of science, but we're going to allow God to expand our hearts through some basic scientific definitions, okay? I'm going to give you three, diff three or four different definitions to me of what a catalyst is, and I'm actually going to show one other attribute that I think works with the catalyst that some of you are, and some of you are going to be both of these at different times. So again, today, I want you to resist the temptation to go mentally into I am this and I'm not that. No, the need of our hour demands the need of our awakening. So we are yes to all and we are willing to be all. Everyone say, I'm willing to be all. Okay, uh, so definition number one is this, is it's an activator. So really what I'm talking about is how do we build teams? This is a leadership development principle. I build all of my teams and circuit riders on the principles I'm about to tell you right now. So I'm challenging you and your teams. You need to build your teams in light of this. The number one attribute I'm looking for is an activator. And everyone say activator. Okay, activator. activator in science and chemistry is this. It's to set in motion or to make active or to make more active. It's to organize or create like the military, okay? And I want us to declare this with me. I am the instrument of awakening. What we're breaking is this. My generation needs awakening. God send them. No, we're saying I am the instrument of awakening. What we're saying is God use me as an activator to set my generation in motion. We're saying God use me as an activator to make my generation active or activated in you. We must say, I want to say this, the activator in the kingdom must say exactly what God says to say. You know what I found in my life is I used to say, I want to hear the voice of the Lord so much. And the more I grew in the Lord, the more I realized I was hearing the voice of the Lord all the time. I just didn't want to say what I was hearing. An activator is courageous in that they're always willing to say what they're hearing. What does that mean practically? Can I boil this down to the most practical application? When you go to your team meeting, are you ready to say what you really think at all times? An activator doesn't hold back. An activator says what they believe. Now, I want to challenge you in this. Is our ego so frail that when I say what I think I hear God saying and it's not received, does it send me into depression for six months? 
Or do you have the resilience and the grit and the fortitude to go, man, we're tackling major issues. Here's what I think God is saying, but I trust you as a team. And if you don't take it, that's great. I'll come back in an hour and tell you what I think God's saying then. I'll continue to say it, say it, say it. But some of us take such a risk to go like, I think he's saying this. And then you don't feel that the word is accepted. So you go into a slump, you draw false conclusions that you don't hear God and you stop speaking. An activator says what God is saying to say. Everyone say, say it. So I want to challenge you with this. Are you saying every day, everywhere you go, everything you think that God is saying to say? I personally exercise myself, not with perfection, but every room I go in, every conversation I have, every meeting I go to, I literally have in my mind at the end of the meeting, I will ask the Lord, try this as a mechanism. This is very practical. Before the Lord, I imagine myself before the Lord at the end of every engagement I have. And I literally say, Lord, I don't know if it went well or not. It's irrelevant. But did I say everything you said to say? And I hold myself to this. If there's anything I withheld or held back or changed to make it safer for me, I repent and I say it right then. Because I'm practicing say it. Everyone say say it. Because there will come a moment where your generation is depending on you to say what you believe God is saying, and you have to build that muscle now. In chemistry, an activator means to accelerate a reaction in as by heat. I want to ask this. Are you living your life at such a heat, at such a fire for God, that it causes acceleration in every person that comes in contact with you? The second that student comes off the bus, are they being accelerated? Are they being accelerated? Okay, here we go. Is this too much? How are we doing? Will, will, like I have a will, a free will, human will, strong will. That's the word I'm using. Will and desperation far outweigh talent and gifting. I would rather you say, I have the will to be an activator, I have the grit to be an activator, than I would you say, I have a great talent, but I don't use my talent. So today we're firing ourselves from the argument of, am I a talented activator? And we're saying, as for me, I love this quote, a little bit of sports love here. Shout out to Tebow, he said this, but he grew up with a poster on his wall that said this, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. I'll say this, will outweighs talent when talent has no will. I would rather you make the decision today to be an activator and to be a culture setter and to give yourself to that. That in the long run will make the difference in your generation. Will and desperation. Okay, so that's activator. Everyone say activator. activator. Is this too much? Am I going too fast? Which one? Yeah, yeah, so the phrase for me is this, and I put it on my wall and I tell myself this every day. The reason I love this line is because there was so much demonic argument over my life that I really believe for 20 years of my life, I was a totally passive person, had zero influence or purpose in my life. I could spend a whole hour on that. That was just my testimony. So for me to believe that I could be an activator, it's impossible for me to leverage this in words for you, the depth of what I'm about to say. It was impossible for me. I could not wrap my head around like, in my mind, is anybody but me. But yet, there's something about that person that the Lord goes, and yet I'm stopping off by your house. So to me, I was so liberated by this phrase, Shiloh, which is this, will 
Will and desperation far outweigh talent and gifting. Will and desperation far outweigh talent and gifting. I guess what I'm getting to, I don't know if it's coming across clear as this, but what do I spend my day focused on? Am I focused on what talents I do and I don't have, or am I spending my days cultivating will and desperation? How are we doing? All right. Can we go to the next definition? Catalyst is the next definition. And another word in chemistry that you can use for catalyst is an accelerator. Okay, is an accelerator. Now, here's how we spiritually define the catalyst. So back to your question, Baker. This might be different than you're thinking, but can I give this to you? The catalyst is the person who's willing to face their fear. I don't know if you got that. We define a catalyst as the person who's willing to face their fear. An accelerator was a catalyst, always advancing the kingdom violently. It's not gifting, it's out of the will. It's a decision of your will to push the kingdom forward every single day. I want to challenge you with this thought. Christy said this this day in July 2013. It absolutely resonated with me. It was true, and I have found it true since then, the decades since then. Are you ready? It's crazy we're in July 2023 right now. I didn't think of that till this very second. Literally, this was 10 years ago. Is that, is that right? Yeah, it was July 17th, 2023. I literally didn't even know that. I was sitting on the side. I felt the Lord said, read these notes. So that's crazy right there. I don't know. That must mean something. Whoa, swirl. It's God. Someone say swirl. Swirl, yeah. Help us, God. Am I going too fast? Most people are two key decisions short of doing what you've always wanted to do. I have found this true in human development. Everyone has a dream of God in your heart that you desperately want to do. Oh, God, get it. He, was, he just wanted to be a sound man. He wanted to help. He was being a catalyst right now. Everyone's got a dream of God, right? But I have found this true in human development. All of us are usually one to two key decisions short of actually just doing what you really want to do. What I'm saying is this, is I think a lot of us settle for, I have a dream, but I'm not taking activated steps towards my dream. You're waiting for your dream to jump on your life and come true. And what I'm trying to do is reverse that culture and say, no, 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 no. It's not how the kingdom works. The activator goes, this is the dream. I'm doing it. Lord, what are the top two decisions I need to make today that are inconvenient and costly, but actually will put me on a path of fulfillment? I have absolutely found that principle true. And I want you to know that the decisions, sometimes we go into the bushes and we make up religious decisions. It's kind of like that Old Testament principle where he would talk about they would bring sacrifices. He'd say, oh, you're sacrificing to me. You're going through all these rituals. But you go, I don't want your rituals. I want your heart. Actually, what God is saying, the decision is simpler than you're thinking. It's just harder. So a lot of times we create religious action steps that are actually easier, but they have the appearance of being sincere and wholehearted. But in truth, if you're honest with yourself, they're safer than doing the easier thing that you really don't want to do. I felt like that hit for some, but to others that didn't. Yeah, what I'm trying to say is this. In Matt Nelson's life, for me to do the dream of God was never as hard and complicated as I made it. It just usually required one or two bold, courageous decisions that if I was honest with you, I didn't really want to do. But I knew deep in my knower that's the decision. And so usually what I would do in my youthfulness is I would rationalize why that's not the action step 
and I would invent an action plan that had the appearance of religiosity, but I was way more comfortable with that. Does that make sense? How many of you right away, be honest, I'm not going to call you out or make you share. It won't be that kind of moment, but just give me a sense of if I'm striking a chord. How many of you, the second that I said that, you had one or two decisions come to your mind that you've privately been, been chewing on, but you've been avoiding it, but you know deep down in your knower that's what the Lord's saying, and you don't even want to raise your hand in this second because if you do, you're acknowledging that's, the, that's what I have to do. Raise your hand. So all I'm trying to do is cast vision for you is to say you're closer to your destiny than you're thinking you are. And it's a spirit of religion that tells you it will come true in 20 years. No, it can come true faster. It just requires the guts, the grit, the fortitude, and the courage to go, I'm going to do the difficult thing that the Lord's asking me to do. The second thing is this, is I would say that the difficult thing usually is not necessarily a crazy thing. It's just usually something that lacks the sizzle and excitement that I would love. I don't know if this is right. I'm just going for it. Here it is. Like, I'll give you one example. I think a lot of my young catalysts I'm working with on, like, they'll just come to me with these crazy action steps that honestly are probably God. But it's just like, I think we should do fireworks on the pier. And then we should hold a giant sign with an airplane blazing across. God, do it. Yeah, this is crazy. And so I have these amazing action steps. And I'm like, whoa, bro, you're such a catalyst. Amen, amen. Are you reading your word every day in a systematic and disciplined way? So am I saying don't do the peer vision? No, but I'm saying that's not the key decision that gets you into your destiny. It's the decision to commit yourself to the reading plan that we called you to. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a key decision that moves you closer in reality, but it's not quite as exciting. I'm not trying to devalue or take away the bold action steps God's given you. If God's given you a bold action step, take it. What I'm saying is, is that really the action step that God's asking you to take? Or is it just something that has the fireworks to it and keeps me from the harder thing? And I'm intentionally just, you know, staying away from prescribing for you what your action steps are because the spirit of religion will always love the prescription because it removes from you your need to go before the Lord with your heart and say, I fear you, Lord, tell me what to do and I will do it. It removes the whole muscle of hear and obey. It just allows you to copycat what someone else says. Mike Bickle says this in his series on um, the Song of Solomon. It's real quiet. Are you guys doing, are we tracking right now? He talks about how the whole Song of Solomon, right? And I can't even do it justice. So go listen to his deal. It'll obliterate anything I'm about to say, but I'm going to mimic it for a second because it transformed my life. He talks about the whole book as an allegory for the invitation of God inviting you as the beloved up the mountain. So he says this line, he goes, I just shook me. This is only a couple months ago. He goes, I refuse to tell you how God has called me up the mountain because you'll just try to mimic my way up the mountain. And he goes, my way up the mountain is not your way up the mountain. He goes, you have to go to God and find out how God's calling you up the mountain. And I was in my life like, dang, I totally wanted you to tell me how to get up the mountain. And he's like, no, I refuse to tell you how to get up the mountain because that's the whole point. You've got to hear the voice of God saying, come up, come up. And if you remember in the allegory of the song Solomon, the beloved does not want to go up the mountain. So they go into the city and say, aren't I obeying? That's my point is my religious action steps. 
I'm always looking for God to say, I'm doing anything but what you're really asking me, but I want you to sign off on my action step. And the Lord goes, I love you and I'm journeying with you, but I'm on the mountain. Come up the mountain, come up the mountain. So I'm challenging you. I'm saying, what is the dream of God in your heart? You're closer than you think, but it's going to involve some key decisions about how God's calling you up the mountain. And don't look to your left and your right for someone to affirm your way up the mountain. You have to go to the Lord and go, I'm a leader. Tell me how to come up the mountain. How are we doing? Accelerator, be the one in the room who is willing to say what you think. Say yes to a value of persecution. Value it. Why is that in there? Because the number one thing that keeps you from saying what the Lord is saying is fear of man and fear of persecution. So if you'll just die to that today and embrace that people are not going to understand you, they might not always accept you, and it might not always turn out good, just overcome that and move into the courage of Christ to say yes to that cost. How are we doing? Okay, we're working on catalysts right now, right? We're still under catalyst. Jesus was the greatest catalyst of all. So when you endeavor to be a catalyst, you're endeavoring to be like Jesus. Think about everything I've just said in light of Jesus. Does it not look like Jesus's daily life? He went where God said go. He did what God said do. And he, this is key, he said what God said to say. I also want to say this. He did not say what God said not to say. It's completely led of the Father, catalyst. Jesus is the ultimate catalyst. It's a substance that initiates or accelerates a reaction without itself being affected. Yep. A catalyst, was that, okay, here it goes. Catalyst is a substance that initiates or accelerates a reaction. All of you in this room as a leader are called to do one thing every day. It's to catalyze and accelerate a reaction in others. Are you living your life that way? It's a reaction without itself being affected. What I'm trying to say is that the catalyst will impact the room, but they themselves do not always feel it. Some of you in the room are so discouraged because you're wanting to feel what you observe is happening in the room, but you're going, I'm not a feeler. Is God not with me? Am I not in the heavenlies? How many of you ever have this moment? You're in the prayer room, everyone's getting slain in the spirit, and you just feel cold as ice, and you're just like, man, God just must be disconnected. Raise your hand if you struggle with that. You know what I know? Can I tell you the secret? That's all the enemy bringing you to false conclusions. The reason you don't feel what's happening in the room is you're a catalyst. And the catalyst by design is designed to create a reaction in the room that does not affect them. Because then they're going to go to the next room and catalyze. Next room, catalyze. Next room, catalyze. Next room, catalyze. But you're observing and saying, make me more of a feeler. And the Lord goes, no, no, you're a catalyst. Catalyze, press on. Catalyze, press on. So we're shredding the, I'm not intimate with God because I don't feel it. And I'm saying, no, you are intimate with God. Do it and press forward. Say it and press forward. Everyone say this with me. Say, I am intimate with God. I am intimate with God. I am connected with Jesus. I am connected with Jesus. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. Even when I don't feel it. I will catalyze. I don't need to feel it to be a catalyst. Some of them have stopped catalyzing because you're waiting to feel before you catalyze. 
What I'm trying to say is that most catalysts don't feel, accept that and catalyze. Do what you're on the earth to do. I hardly ever feel anything. I ask God every day, I want to feel you more, but I don't let a lack of feeling stop me from obeying the Lord and saying what he says to say. Okay, the third substance we're going to talk about is a sensitizer. Everyone say sensitizer. <laughs> this is so funny. Sensitizer. Say sensitizer. Sensitizer is a substance other than a catalyst. Uh-oh. Teamwork. They're working in team. You guys getting how I build a team? I'm looking for specific ingredients and I'm constructing them appropriately because they're designed to work together. A sensitizer is a substance other than a catalyst that facilitates the catalytic reaction, yet is not itself the catalyst. You want me to read that again? The sensitizer is a substance other than the catalyst that facilitates, look up the word facilitate. It means the definition of facilitate is to make easy or easier. Some of you are called in the room to be sensitizers. Your whole job on the earth is to help others get into their calling, to tear down every barrier between them and their calling. That's the work of a sensitizer. You're facilitating the reaction of the catalyst. You have a catalyst on the stage who's thundering, thundering, thundering. You're observing the room and you go, man, blown up, blown up. Uh-oh, stuck. <laughs> Sensitizer right over there. Hey, what's holding you back right now? There's something you're burning for. You want it, but you don't know what's happening. I just feel discouraged. No, let's tear down that destruction. Let's tear down that discouragement right now and get you into the fire. A sensitizer is sensing what's happening in the room, tearing down. Listen, I'm going to get in so much trouble right now. Feelers that just feel are not moving the kingdom forward. So don't tell me I'm a feeler and just stand in the back of the room and going like, I'm just a feeler. Hey, there was never a greatest feeler on earth than Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate feeler, but it never dictated what he did. He perceived, discern, and move forward, obey. So I meet feelers sometimes who are like, I'm just in the back. I'm under paralysis right now. No, that's the spirit. Come out of that, sensitize, facilitate, breakthrough. The reason the Lord is letting you feel that is to help them break through. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm just going to give you, for me and our little world, okay, I think this is true, but I can't prove it, but I do believe it. One example of the greatest sensitizers are those with the prophetic gifting. Think about it. You're sensing what's happening. You usually say to the catalyst, Hey, I sense the Lord wants to break through in three ways. Catalyst goes, okay, let's go bust through. And then the sensitizer, the prophetic goes, listen, I'm watching while you're fighting. I'll keep you posted. Thunder until we get the breakthrough. So then the catalyst comes over here. This is making sense. I'm going to act it out a little bit just for my own benefit. I'm trying to show you how teamwork really works. This is to me what teamwork really looks like. It's so activated. You need every single person on your team activated to the maximum of their gift. So then your catalyst is just like breakthrough, breakthrough, wild speech, wild speech, kick in the face, kick in the face, breakthrough, cheers. And then they're looking over at the sensitizer and the sensitizer's like this. 
I see three more things. Keep punching through. We're breaking walls. And then the cast is like, okay, I got you. Everyone show with me. Breakthrough, breakthrough. Do you guys ever see teams that work this way? What does not work is this. The sensitizer is just deactivated and they're like, hey, take us to victory. So, <laughs> hey, and then, you know, Catalyst is like, what's happening in the spirit? I'm a doorknob. I don't feel anything. I don't know what's happening. My job is just to say everything that comes to heart. I'm a catalyst. I'm just going so far out on the limb. And then sensitizers like, oh, I was supposed to be listening to God? Yeah, like at all times, dude. What's happening? Do you guys get what I'm saying? But great teams. You've got a sensitizer who's accelerating, accelerating, accelerating. You've got a catalyst who's, is this too crazy? Catalyze, catalyze. Some of your teams are stuck because nobody's doing their job. The catalyst isn't catalyzing, he's waiting. And the sensitizer is not sensitizing, they're waiting. Everybody's waiting. Activate, everyone say activate. Activate. All right, another example. I think another way that um, this plays out, this wasn't the plan for this morning, but it's all good. trying to show you how teams really work in my view, because I wish you, I could tell you that teamwork was always clean, clean, tidy, neat, and fun, but sometimes it's just more like a gang fight. You're just like, have you guys ever been in a spiritual battle? And your team is like, oh nuts. I think we've got something happening right now. Just there's real moments where you're like, dude, I don't know what's happening, but we're just jumping in together. So teamwork, this is me how teamwork really works. Okay, another way I want to highlight how a sensitizer will work is a lot of times a sensitizer is what we call your first follower. But if you understand movement, the first follower is actually the greatest leader. Because the catalyst just tends to be the crazy man and the crazy woman who's predictably saying crazy things. Don't raise your hand, but you all have people in your life that when they stand up, in the back of your mind, you're like, here goes, crazy speech, because it's always a crazy speech, it's never not a crazy speech. How many of you know a catalyst like that? Like, it's predictable every day. It's a new dream, new vision, a new crazy speech. But instead of coming alongside of that, I'm critical of that. But could it be that the Lord is saying to you, I put you in the catalyst life because I want you to come alongside the catalyst and say, I believe what you're saying is God. How can I help you? How can I get on your team? How can I serve and support? I want you to know for me that when I catalyze and someone goes, Matt, I need your help. For me, I'm always like, put the spreadsheets away. I don't need your help on spreadsheets right now. Say what I'm saying. Does that make sense? A lot of times, the sensitizer wants to hang out in the back and just do administrative work. But the number one thing you can do as a sensitizer is go, I'm going to sing your song. Global, what's that? Global revival's coming? I'll say it over here. You keep going. Hey, so global revival. Global re- do you see what I'm saying? I'm coming alongside of Administration, that's a sensitizing work. Oh, this is too much. But I want to remind, I'm an administrative leader, so I'm just going to pick on my administrators for a second. I want to remind administrators, your job is to facilitate, to promote, to push forward. You yourself are not the movement. And administrators, a lot of time, want to organize everything so neat and tidy that all the movement's gone, but it sure is orderly. 
So you have to understand if God's called you to be a facilitator, a sensitizer, I'm coming alongside a vision and I'm pushing it forward. I'm pushing it forward. This is the culture that we do in Huntington Beach. And credit to Nick Brent for this. I don't know if you can see it, but you're going to want to see it. We look at movement. I want to have a voice if I do that. We look at movement like this is essentially a giant hill and the movement is the boulder. Can you guys, but you can't see this, can you? By faith, it's an incline line with a circle on it. My artistic skills are not great. I'm an administrator, not an artist, okay? So there you go. So the thing I want to show you is this. Did someone say my name? No? I imagine that. This is the Lord. Yes, Lord. <laughs> this is the way I see movement and catalyst and accelerators is your job is you're down here and you're pushing the movement forward at all times every day. I think there's an illusion that movement is flat ground or it's a decline and that the boulder naturally moves. No, culture is not that way. You're always pushing every day. It's active, active, active. You're addressing that culture. You're rebuilding, you're casting vision, you're facilitating. So you're always pushing forward. Does that make sense? All right. Teamwork, I always look to pair the catalyst slash accelerators with the sensitizers because the catalyst needs that direction, like where are we going, what are we doing, or they need that help. Sometimes it will take multiple sensitizers to work with one catalyst. Just all depends on what got, oh, we got laughter right over here. How many of you are around a catalyst that you're like, dude, we got to get help up in here, you know, we just don't have capacity uh, to do that. Brian was that way. I loved working with Brian because he was the ultimate catalyst. But dude, I was always like, bro, you got way more vision than I can even shake a stick at. So we just need help over here. Can I get some help? But the number one thing Brian would say to me, because we worked together for so long, he'd say, Matt, when I'm in catalyst mode, I don't need you to organize it. Say what I'm saying. Lead with me. Does that make sense? So we have to break down this idea that like the catalyst is the leader. I'm the helper. No, we're all the leaders. We have different functions, but they're all leading. Everyone say I'm a leader. All right, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse. I'll move on for you guys here. You need to get in the habit. Sensitizers. How many of you, let's take a risk. How many of you feel that as I'm describing a sensitizer, you think you might be more of a sensitizer? You love coming alongside of a catalyst and working with a catalyst. Raise your hand if that's you, real high. Okay, awesome. So for you, sensitizers, get ready for this. You have to get in the habit of saying exactly what comes into your head because the temptation will be to not tell the catalyst what you really think. Does that make sense? Okay. That was quiet. There were some smiles, so I'm not sure what's happening. I'm trying to figure out what's happening. What are you thinking right now? You're laughing. Do you resonate with that when I say that there's a temptation for the sensitizer to withhold from the catalyst what they're thinking? Tell me your name. Anna, Anna that was so gutsy of you. Because I, I just, re I relate to that so intrinsically deep. Because I, when I would work with Brian, I just, the temptations to be like, <laughs> I love it, let's do it. But then in the back of my mind, I'd be, I might be like, uh, maybe we should go two clicks to the left. But I would be afraid to say that. But then the Lord would say, no, I gave them part of the puzzle and I gave you another part. Yet he has the courage to say what he's saying, but you lack the courage to say what you're saying. It only works, the catalytic reaction works when the whole team arcs together. 
Tell me why you think that is. What is that temptation to sometimes stay quiet? Okay, I love that. I want to say that loud so everyone hears it. You said it's basically the conclusion that it's already been said. How many of you, be honest with me right now, you're ever in rooms or team times, you have a thought to say, but you come to the conclusion that, oh, I don't need to say that because it's already been said and everyone already knows that, so I won't say that. Raise your hand really high. Look around the room. Look around the room. Keep your hand up. Look around the room. So I'm not putting you on blast. What I'm saying from a functional team, if the victory depended on everybody doing their part and saying what they're supposed to say, what I'm trying to say is like team intercession time. I'm trying to make this real practical. Team intercession time, there's always those two or three token intercessors that everyone's like, they're the intercessor. Because it's always tears, snots going everywhere. You know, they're in a Hannah-type travail. And we all go like, I don't know how to pray that like that. I'm just a robot. I want to. But I'm just more like, God, move. And how many of you ever, like me, you feel like you muster the courage to pray and the room gets quiet when you pray? And then you go into a mental warfare of like, shucks, everyone thought what I prayed was stupid right there. And then they, am I the only one who ever has that? And then now you're spending the next 90 minutes in the corner debating if you should say the next thing that you were thinking to say. Am I the only one who ever goes to the middle gymnastics? Can I get an amen right now? Come on, raise your hand. Oh, you guys are like, oh, that's me. Yeah, look at us. Come on. That's called the prayer room in Kona. And we're debating whether I should pray out loud. If you're in the Kona room debating after one prayer that no one liked your prayer, you shouldn't pray again, how in the world am I going to go out into the world and catalyze and sensitize? Because I'm only saying what I'm saying for positive effect. But the sensitizer has a conviction that goes, I need you and you need me. We're all going to lead forward courageously together. Another way to say it is I value you and you value me and we need one another. And great teams are built that way. Great teams are built on a philosophy that I need you and you need me and we're rolling together in this value for one another. Does that make sense? Yet we're all equally activated. So I always like to say different gifts equal activation. All right, I'm going to keep going. Be insistent in the place of faith. Faith prior to the moment activates. Sensitizer combined with the catalyst. Sensitizer must be bold to say or do what he or she heard. All right, and then there's a, fi a final substance here. Are we ready for this? Nobody said anything. Just to want to break that news. You guys ready for this? Are we activated? All right, here we go. The third su or, th or final substance is the inhibitor. Oh, snap. That right away should have just gotten a reaction like, wait, no, hang on, what? The inhibitor, oh, can't say it. Inhibitor, here it is. The inhibitor is a substance that slows or stops the activity. I want to ask you a leadership question. When you enter the room, does it accelerate what God's doing or slow and stop it? When you engage the team, do you facilitate and make the reaction of the Lord easier or do you slow and stop that? 
I know that that's tough talk, but I want you to know there's not a day in my life I don't, I don't go home to the Lord and go, Lord, how did we do today? Was I an accelerator? Was I a catalyst? Was I a sensitizer? Or was I Captain Unbelief over there in the corner who was like, we can't do that. That's too big and that's going to cost too much and that's too hard. We need to slow down and we need less people and we need less this. And I clothe it all as wisdom, but it's not really wisdom from heaven. It's just Matt's unbelief about why we can't do what we're saying we ought to do. Told you it's a leadership school, not at ETS. I challenge you in your team, and I do this with my team. I will look, Nick Brent's a great example. I will look Nick in the eye and go, I know I'm called to work with you. I love working with you. Do I make your life easier or harder? And there's real moments sometimes where he's like, bro, I need you to thunder. Sometimes Brian would do this with me. And I, again, 20 years of history, so there's a lot of love, okay, just so we know, like so much love. But there were days where Brian would say, like, listen, Matt, the Lord spoke to me. I need you not to be implicational for 20 minutes. Let me just say out loud what God said. Let me just dream the dream for a second. What's he saying to me as a sensitizer? Because as a sensitizer, I'm so quick to go implement. And this is how, and probably not this, and probably not that. And not, oh, let me just bring structures and systems and organs. I got an org chart over here. And he's like, listen, we'll get to org charts tomorrow. Let's just dream the dream today. Dream the dream with me. Does that make sense? That took me a bunch of years to learn, but it got to the point where uh, this would happen in our relationship. I'm trying to show you like real life, how the teamwork works in real life. Like he would go, bro, I had a dream last night. I would literally say, okay, I need to know right now what you'd like. Am I agreeing with the dream or would you, are, are you hoping for implicational thoughts? And he, and it was great teamwork because sometimes he'd be like, no, I need your help. I don't know. Should we do it or should we not? I'd be like, okay, share the dream. I'm just ready to go implication on right now. Like some of you in the room is sensitizers, your favorite. You're so activated when the visionary goes, how should we do it? You're like, yes, I've been waiting for someone to ask me. I want to help. How many of you are like, I'm a helper and I love to help. My wife will say to me sometimes like, I'm a helper. Let me help. I want to help. I'm like, okay, I'm letting you help. It's happening, you know? But then sometimes Brian would say to me, like, no, we're not at implication phase yet. Let's just let the dream of God be there. Dream the dream with me. Let's give it time and see what the Spirit says. Because sometimes we're premature in our implicational thought, and we end up deterring what God is really saying. Does that make sense? So I want you to see there's an ebb and flow. There's a rhythm to teamwork that's human. It's not a mathematical equation. It's a little bit part science, part art. You have to learn to work together in your team. You have to look for where there's catalytic spark in teams. Sometimes we put teams together and it doesn't arc and we rearrange and then there's arc. When you get teams that arc, you keep those teams together because there's movement on those teams. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah, great question. What's your name? Nathan. Nathan, that's such a good question. How many of you have been thinking that question, but you're afraid to raise your hand? Oh, snap, got him, set you up. Oh, busted. No, I'm kidding. Um, that's a great question. That's awesome. Okay, here's my view on that. Can I tell you my view on that? I think the answer is both. I know some people that are just so strongly wired a particular way. That's their lean. It's their bent. And it's just, it's just they're going to operate in that gear. Like I always say that those people have like one gear. Like we have catalyzers in our movement that I mean, you and I'm being serious. You can tell them I said this. I won't say their names. But it's like you could train them all you want. 
They'll even tell you thank you for the training. They'll leave the room and do one thing, catalyze. They just cannot not catalyze. How many of you have friends that just like, I, I think uh, true blue, what I call big E evangelists are this way. They have one gear. They're going to win you to Christ. Even if you're in Christ, they're going to win you to Christ again. And anytime they're talking about anything that's not in Christ, they're evangelizing you to their position. You need this iPhone and you need it right now. And next thing you know, you're getting the five spiritual laws and you're like, bro, I'm happy with my phone. And they're like, no, I'm completely not satisfied with that. You need it and I'm bearing down on you right now. And you're like, I actually have friends that I'll say, dude, do not evangelize me right now on whatever. I don't want to eat canes. But they're like, bro, you need to eat canes right now. Canes is the best deal ever. And I'm like, bro, you're literally talking to me. Like you talk to the guy about the gospel. Phil Dodgen is some of these friends in our community. And some of these guys, I've worked with them for a decade, and they'll be like, Matt, thank you so much. I needed this training. It's so good. They'll leave the room instantaneous. One gear. Evangelist. I'm going to win you right now. Like, bro, everybody here is in Christ. They're like, I know, but I don't think that they're as sold out as they could be. And they need to be more sold out. I'm like, bro, we're all been running together for 10 years. We're trying. But the evangelist is like, no, more, more God. How many of you know like a more person and you're just like, I feel like the globe needs you, but maybe not the room right now. And you're just like, so to answer your question, I think there are some people who are that way. And it's a divine wiring by God because their assignment on earth is literally to cut through all the resistance on the earth and to prevail with the gospel. And they will need that level of catalytic strength to obey the word of the Lord over their life. So I've learned you have, there's a discernment to this. Is this making sense? Leaders, you're all leaders. You're going to have to discern this on your outreach teams. Who are your big E evangelists? And it's better not to discourage them. It's better to light them up and turn them loose and point them towards a pocket of the loss and just go, just win, just win right now. We're going to stand back here and facilitate just win, just win. Does that make sense? And then there, hang on, I see you. I'll come back to you. And then I have sensitizers. Like I have some that are just so prophetically wired that uh, maybe you can relate to this. It's like we'll do Salvation Encounter. Who's ever done Salvation Encounter where you practice preach? And you'll just like give him the biggest speech you've got to get as wild as, as you want them to get, you know? And then they're like, they're in. Like they're like, their wheel is there. Like I'm wild. But then when it comes time for their speech, it's just like tears and it's like, have an image of you. God's just with you. And you're like, what are we feeling right now? I don't know what's happening in the room. And they're like, I feel the heart of God. And you're like, really? I just feel hot right now. What's happening? Some of you in the room are sensitizing all day. And I sensitizer, I think it's no accident. Sensitizer has sensitive kind of in it. Is I think not always. A lot of times your sensitizers tend to be a little bit more sensitive. And so I know that when I'm working with a pure sensitizer, I really know this in my heart of hearts. I'm like, I really want to treat them with the utmost love, respect, like not like um, not over the top, but I'm conscientious of like I can't catalyze you like I can catalyze my friend Andy Bird. Because Andy's just forehead like Flint. So Andy will just be like, just tell me what you're thinking right now. I'm not even sure I believe it, but say it and I'll say it back to you and let's go. So he's just kind of built that way to be just more that apostolic forehead. Does that make sense? But then if I talk to someone who's a sensitizer on my team that way, it'll deconstruct them for three weeks and then we've got to bring them back to get them back to sensitizing. Does that make sense? 
How many of you have ever known a sensitizer that has that sensitivity? Number one, they're always feeling what God's doing. And number two, you just don't. I see laughter happening in the room. I'm not sure if this related to something else. But how many of you know people or relate to that? Like I have a sensitivity to just know like sometimes I get my feelings hurt or sometimes I draw back. Raise your hand really high. You're not in trouble. You're not going to be judged right now. That's not a trick question. Okay. So it's so good for you. Two things. Is this helpful or not helpful? You have to know who those people are. Does that make sense? Like, I know who my pure sensitizers are. And then you can ask them, like, the level I operate in sincere encouragement with them is so high because I need their tank just completely full. And by the way, you can fake that, and it's just called manipulation. So don't manipulate, okay? But it has to be authentic, sincere love. Like, I know if I send Andy Bird, my friend, one love text, like, one every year, he's just pumped. It's like, thanks, bro. Love you too. You're the best. You know, it's like two cavemen talking to one another. Okay. But then my sensitizers, if you don't tell them every 12 hours, like, dude, you are totally crushing it right now. Seriously. The spreadsheet saved the whole team. That prophetic download was Mamba. Don't even know where you came up with that. If you're not saying that, then they're internalizing like what's happening right now. Some of you in the room are that way. If you're not told every 12 hours, you're killing it. You're like, am I killing it for God? And you're like, yeah, it's been eight hours, dude. I mean, just be cool. We'll come back tomorrow. How many of you relate to that a little bit? <laughs> I don't know. This is maybe you can sense, you know. Some of you are like, no, I'm so steady in Christ. I'm none of these, you know. You're like, amen, good for you. Okay, and then my last answer to you, was it Blake? Like I said, Nathan, totally way off there. Is, um, I hope, don't, don't have her feelings, bro. I love you so much in Christ. Nathan, you're not rejected. Oh, hey, you know what? That makes a good point. This is a leadership lesson. A lot of you have to your sensitivity. You live in a blanket of false rejection that the world's rejecting you when they're not. You're not being rejected. We just live in a world of catalytic strength, and you have to have the inner life with God to know, I'm loved and valued right now. I'm good. Let's run forward. You can create a whole false ecosystem around inner healing because someone didn't stop by your table at the Ohana and tell you how awesome you were for the last 30 minutes. And then you kind of slip into this mode of like, I'm not seen, I'm not valued, I'm not rejected. If you have had the thought, I'm not seen in the last six months, I challenge you to really take that to the Lord and go, am I really not seen or do I not feel seen? And if I don't feel seen, is it because I'm not seen or because I was never seen by my parents or I wasn't seen by this, that, and the other, and I'm projecting my pain on all the other leaders and I'm replicating a self-fulfilling prophecy of rejection? Is that too much? You want to be a part? I'm just telling you, if you want to be a part of catalytic teams that operate a movement, there has to be a little bit of resilience to you to go, dude, we're fighting wars right now. We're fighting wars right now. Like, dude, I care about you. I will literally feed you, water you. We will nurture you back to health. But we got guys over there shooting at us and we're shooting at them. So you just hang on for a second. You know, you have to have that inner strength a little bit, even as a sensitizer. Like my wife is really sensitive. She's amazing, amazing, amazing. She's also the strongest person I know. To answer your question, I'm coming back to the third category. And so sometimes my wife is just like in this crazy blaze mode. And I'm like, oh, Lord, give me enough fire just to hang with my wife right now. And then sometimes she just wilts and goes into sensitivity mode. So I will also say as a principle, I've learned the strongest willed people are usually the most sensitive. And that's including men. The strongest men I know are the most sensitive. They get their feelings hurt the, the most. And so they'll pull back. 
So you have to be self-aware of that and go, am I really wounded right now? Or just was my, were my feelings hurt because someone didn't shout loud enough in reaction to my declaration? So I perceived that as a spirit of rejection on the earth. And I made up a false prophecy about that. And, and then like, and the Lord's like, dude, can I get an amen right now? The Lord's like, dude, you're not rejected. They didn't listen to me either. Welcome to the club. Get up and say it again. So sometimes you have to have a value system where Jesus can be the great coach and come alongside you and go like, dude, I love you. It's going to be okay. Get up and say it again. Get up and say it again. They didn't listen to me either. And I'm the son of God. Welcome to the team. We've had a lot of Jesus movement on the earth the last 2,000 years, and there's a lot of people on earth still not listening to Jesus. So when you don't feel heard or seen, welcome to the club. Get on with it. But have less of just like the, like, I can't operate in this kind of environment. <laughs> Sam, I need you to be the ultimate leader in my life for me to thrive. Well, I just want you to know you set yourself up for failure and Sam because nobody can win in that ecosystem. Jesus is the perfect and the ultimate leader. And so I'm always grateful for Sam, but Jesus is my primary source at all times. He's never not. Yeah. No, you're great. What's your name? Delaney, yeah. go for it, Delaney. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. I'd go back to the Lord and say, you know, you're, uh, you're, you're. I just probably didn't have a revelation large enough. No, I really mean that. Probably don't feel pigeonholed by any of that or limited. God's with you. I have no doubt. You're good. So yeah, this good maybe point is you can overapply these principles, and someone could leave discouraged today and go, I'm neither of these. I'm not selected in the kingdom. No, it just means Matt's little tiny paradigm didn't have enough room. So give me grace for that. That's my limitation, not yours. And just go and ask the Lord to show you how you operate. What I'm trying to show you are basic human principles that we have found effective in making revival teams. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so that's the third category, and I was just there. I just was having too much fun with the synth and tither and the catalyst. Does that make sense? So third, back to Blake's question is, and I relate to this one. Is it not Blake, Nathan? Is it something prophetic, dude? I don't know, bro. I'm sorry. Bro, would you forgive me for getting your name wrong twice? Yes. Okay. Thank you for being resilient. Okay. I relate to the third category, which is this, is the Lord will require you to function in both. And so that's really inconvenient for me because I really enjoy the luxury of being one. There's a real luxury in being one because you never have to discern. You just have permission to just be whatever, just be it. I'm just going to get out and be it. You know, like I'm an evangelist. I'm winning you right now. And you're like, at all times, you never, you just don't know. You're just like, I'm winning. Go. Or the sensitizer's like, I had angelic revelation right now. And you're like, hey man, that's awesome. For me, my job always depends on who I'm working with or what role or function that I'm in. So there are parts of my life where I totally have to function as a sensitizer, and that's the call of God. And I have to be very self-aware of when I'm in that role, and I have a whole set of skills that I activate in that role. And then there are other areas of my life where the Lord says, okay, hey, you don't get to be sensitizer today. you got to be the catalyst. And so for me, I want you to know my most natural bent for the first 30 years of my life was uh, more sensitizer because I love to work with a catalyst. But then... The Lord just began to say, like, I'm going to require you to be a catalyst, too. So that was more of a learned skill set. But here's what I found is will and desire outweigh talent and gifting. So when the Lord says, I need you to be a catalyst, we don't have enough catalysts to go around. So rise up. You're going to be dual functioning. Is then I had to learn those skills. Does that make sense, Nathan? 
Yo, look at that. I got it right. Let's go. Okay. So in that zone, keep your hands up. I see hands. Is I have to know on any given day what role that I'm in. Does that make sense? Some of you will be called to be both. If you feel that probably you have a call or a responsibility, I like the word responsibility more than call because call sounds so just fun and feely. Responsibility is just more like, we need you to do this quickly. Please get on it. And so there's a reality and leadership of that. So here's a great example. Sometimes Andy will call me because I work with the sin and he'll just say like, dude, you cannot be quiet on the call. I need you to say something on the call. I need you to take the lead and lead out. We need you go. So what is he saying to me? He's saying, rise up and be a catalyst. You can't not do it. So I have to know that and I click that mode internally and go into that. But then my role on the team is also that of a sensitizer. Does that make sense? Are we belaboring this too much? Should I pivot? Okay, what time is it right now? 11.24. Okay, keep your hands up. I'm trying to answer all your questions. So then, and I miss it sometimes, Nathan. You ask both. Sometimes I miss it. I have meetings sometimes where I'm sitting quietly and I'm listening to the Lord. I'm totally activated in my sensitizer role. And then I'll have Nick Brent. He said this to me a couple weeks ago. Um, do you guys know Nick Brent? Yeah. yeah, Nick's incredible. He's one of the most talented leaders that I've ever met. He's incredible. He's so fun. Turned 32 this week. He's awesome. I love working with him. This happened a couple weeks ago as Nick looked at me in a leadership meeting. He goes, dude, I need you to say more. He goes, your one assignment this year. I'm 42, by the way. I love when he gives me instructions. He goes, I, he goes, I need you to do one thing this entire year. Say more and ask questions later. So what is he saying to me? He's saying, I need your leadership. Stop sensitizing. Get over here to the catalyst department and start catalyzing. And if it causes a mess, we'll figure it out later. So my thing is, is for those who feel called to do both, raise your hand again if you feel like you probably have to do both. Raise it really high. Okay, that's great. I think you're all right. Hey, just so you know, in my experience, most DTS leaders, you've got to do both because you don't have enough to go around. So you have to develop that capacity to go, today I'm catalyzing, five minutes from now I'm sensitizing, then in the middle I'm accelerating, then I ran back over to catalyst. How many of you know within DTS structure, within a course of a day, you could shift gears 20 times? 100%. You're going to be in the tent and be the primary catalyst. Then you're going to go over to the staff meeting and go, okay, am I deactivated or am I leaning in and listening as a sensitizer? You might lead a team, but be a follower on a bigger team. Does that make sense? Like I have leaders in our movement that they are the primary catalyst on their uh, college campus tour team. But when we get into our broad staff meeting, they're not that anymore. So it's follower leader. Okay, I'm going to move on and press on. I'm just going to try and hit some of these. There were hands over here. Don't come around. You've been waiting a long time. Uh, you're kind of already touching on it, but I want to ask anyway. Oh, praise God. Um, is it possible for like a catalyst to disguise themselves as a sensitizer out of like passivity and like fear of what the room will say? Oh, whoa. Look at that. You just went samurai on us. Whoa. Thousand percent, dude. It's a thousand percent. What's that? Did everybody hear this? This is profound. Did you guys hear it over here? Come here. Say it again. Say it again. So what I said is, is it possible that you're a catalyst, but you're disguising yourself as a sensitizer out of fear of what the room is going to say? And like feeling like, oh my gosh, like nothing's happening in the room, but I feel like I'm just going to like sit back and not say anything. But in reality, the Lord's like, no, I'm calling you to be a catalyst and actually spark the room. 
but I feel like I'm going to sensitize it out of fear and passivity. Yes, and my answer to that question is 1,000%. You can lie to yourself. It happens to every human being on the earth, and you create a false narrative around your life. And so absolutely that can happen. The only way to do that is you have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, do I really have clarity on who I am? I also would say in reverse, I have people who disguise themselves as a catalyst when they're really not. But in their minds, they convince themselves that they are the greatest catalyst. And I'm like, bro, you're really not. We love you so much, but I really need you over here more sensitizing. So what I would say is in a teamwork ecosystem, you have to have that flexibility to flex with what the needs are and respond teachably to older people helping you have clarity on who you are. Tomorrow, my plan is to do a bunch of really practical leadership development. It's all about gift discovery, gift mix, role and function. We're gonna do some stuff by Dr. Robert Clinton, but he breaks down even the, get, the, the difference between your, uh, your um, spiritual gift, your learned skill set, and then your role and your function, and all three are different. We tend to blend the three as one, but they're not, they're unique and distinct. So a lot of times young people don't have anything wrong in their heart. They just don't know. You need more time on the earth to work it out. So when I was a younger man, I was 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, all I wanted to be an ev- was an evangelist. It took me 10 years to go. I have the heart of an evangelist, but probably my gifts are more of a sensitizer. I work great with an evangelist. But those are learned skill sets. The other thing I'd say is a lot of times the sensitizer disguises the catalyst because if they're honest, they believe that the catalytic role has greater value because the catalyst tends to be more visible. And so we equate visibility with value, and that doesn't work like that in the kingdom. But what I just said happens all across the earth every day. The senior pastor, the most valuable. The evangelist, the most valuable. The apostolic, the most valuable. No, they're not. Everyone's equally valuable, just different functions. So a lot of times my sensitizers will aspire to be catalysts, but what's really happening is they're reacting to the pain and the injustice of rejection in their life. And so trying to thrust themselves in a role that's not suited for them because deep down and it's subconscious, they don't know, but they feel like that will, equ- that will fill all my needs and I'll feel better about myself. Their core belief is that the more public their ministry, the less they'll feel insecure. What I found is that public ministry will only enhance what's there. So if you're insecure privately and you go into public leadership, it will only magnify your insecurity. It won't solve anything. So yeah, you got to go to the Lord like you just did and just go, Lord, do I have clarity on who I am and let God direct you? Yes, sir. Real loud. Yeah, great question. You have two opposing catalysts and they're clashing. Wow, this clash of the titans. How many of you have ever been around the team where you've got two strong-willed people pulling in opposite directions? Yeah, everyone's hand should be up right now. I think number one, these are just, these are great questions. Are the questions helpful to you guys? Okay, they're great leadership stuff. We just trust the Lord's leading us this morning. Um, I think for me, a couple of thoughts. Number one is that's why you need freedom and personal restoration, which was my plan this morning was to work on that. And then either I messed that up or the Lord led us in a different direction. But what I was going to say was this. This marker is not going to work, is it? (laughs) Need more faith. Amen. Okay, let me just do a 30 cent. Keep your hand up. I'm coming back to you. All questions. Keep your hand up. I see you. I'm working my way over to you. Keep it up. And anyone else. Because that's why for me in my leadership development grid and our leadership development grid, I'm always working through a couple of things. And it's TJ, right? Yes. Okay. You're not Blake either. TJ (laughs) is, um, number one, all my leaders need to have all of their injustices resolved. 
but I see very few communities where they systematically and thoroughly work through the pain and the injustice of the past, understand how it's playing out in the present and the implications for how it will derail their leadership in the future. We tend to have one night at a ministry night, we get slain in the spirit and we leave and go, I'm totally healed. I love you, you probably did get healed, but you didn't touch your patterns at all. So you're behaving still as in the rejection, but you did get a touch from God. But there's a willful, systematic decision to go, I've got to work through every category of rejection, betrayal, abandonment, and I've got to pull those apart. And in most people's cases, especially in the catalytic cases, they were rejected for who they were by the people who were closest to them. I mean, guys, we could do a whole week on the pain of injustice and rejection. But the person who's pulling the strings behind rejection is always the enemy. I'm going to expand your purview. Don't miss what I'm about to say. Why do you experience pain on the earth? Simple. The enemy understands who you are and that you're called. And so he starts working to derail your future from the day you're born. So the best way he can do that is he wields the weapon of injustice and pain in your life. You draw false conclusions from that and boom, it's game, set, match. And so that's why we have to have a systematic ability to work through those. Yes, sir. Is your hand up? Yes. So we look, the way we break down, all right, for those who have your hand up, I'm going to answer your question. But my compassion for you, put your hand down so that your arm doesn't go to sleep real quick. But in a second, you can shoot it back up. Okay, does that sound good? All right, is it helpful if I just give a real quick blast on injustice and how it works? Okay, two things. It's a chapter in the Freedom Manual. Most of you, I think, do not own the Freedom Manual. So I have an action step for you. You need to go on our website today and purchase a Freedom Manual. I think they're $20. It'll be the, like I said, it's sold out. Oh, what? I've got to get on my team and become a catalyst right now. Look at that. I've been a sensitizer and I was missing the boat. Thank you so much for letting me know. Okay. I love how you just were like, amen, right there. What, bro? Malachi, thank you so much. Okay, so here's how I look at injustice. Simple working definition of, just, of injustice is undeserved harm or pain. Are we tracking? I'm literally giving you the cliff notes. What I'm about to say will not even come close to impartation. I'm just trying to create a framework. So it's undeserved pain and or harm. So many categories of that, okay? We tend to focus around one word, which is rejection. So it's my core belief. There are categories within rejection. Other big ones are abandonment. There's layers of abandonment. Betrayal is always a mamba. Everyone has betrayal in their life. And then third, generically, but big, is in general just feeling misunderstood. A lot of people come from great families. You just felt misunderstood your whole life, and that's your main pain point is no one's ever really seen me. Some of us grew up with the most severe stories of rejection. So my point is there's all kinds of flavors in there. I'm just trying to provide categories. Does that make sense? What is the enemy's desire? His number one desire is this, that this becomes your worldview. And this is what I see with young people. When they've experienced rejection, pain, abandonment, misrejection, all this stuff, is their worldview becomes this, I am rejected. Humans may have rejected them, but ultimately, sonship in Christ, you're not rejected. 
I don't buy into the orphan deal because the Bible says when you come into Christ, you're adopted into sonship. I do believe an orphan spirit's on the earth, but I refuse to come under it because I'm adopted by God. So orphan spirit to me applies when you're not in Christ because you are an orphan technically. But in Christ, you're a son or a daughter now. So, but you're, here's the thing. So we always do this is number one is we identify the injustice. Now the prophetic can be helpful, but you don't need the prophetic. Because if you just start to go through your story, it'll show you that. If you open your manuals, don't open them now, we don't have time. But Salvation Encounter has a whole chapter dedicated to this. It actually has three chapters dedicated to what we call, what I call affectionately, the three strand core. What? And if you go through the rejection chapter in Salvation Encounter, it literally gives you categories of rejection that you could have experienced. Okay? So number one, you identify the injustice. Is this too fast? Number two, as we call, you identify the fruit of the injustice. Okay, another word that I like to use for fruit because it just makes more sense to me is the patterns. Okay, here's how the patterns work. Can I just model how the patterns work? So I'll just give you a real raw story. Is that cool? Here, where's, where's my guy Andrew at? Come up here. Hey, tr turn this recording off for me. Thanks, bro. Let's go real.